0: This is David Weiss for The Daily Worker Placement, and you're listening to The Game Changers. Episode 3, Rise of the Euro, Part 2. In Part 1, I told the story of how Klaus Teuber, a German dental technician, came to invent the settlers of Catan. In the second part, we'll look at what happened next and how Catan permanently altered the tabletop landscape. It took Toiber four years of tinkering to get Die Siedler* ready for publication. He then sold it to Cosmos, a German publisher that was even older than Ravensburger, having been founded in 1822. When Cosmos released it at the Essen Game Fair in 1995, all 5,000 copies sold out over four days. That must have been an indication that the game would do well. By the end of the year, it had sold 400,000 copies and won the Spiel des Jahres, Germany's Game of the Year award. Settlers was a hit in Europe, but in North America, Catan didn't sell very much as an import in 1996. It didn't even make Games Magazine's top 100 that year. The Game of the Year for Games Magazine that year was a dice game, Sharpshooters. Still... The buzz about Gitan made it a good bet, and within a year, Mayfair Games released the first English edition. Remember Mayfair? They were the ones who had published the ill-fated SimCity collectible card game I talked about in Episode 2. Mayfair had been founded in 1981, and for the first few years its focus had mainly been on conflict simulation and railroad games. We'll be looking at those railroad games in more detail in the next episode. But by the end of the 1980s, Mayfair had begun releasing English-language versions of German games. Given its name and its emphasis on European designs, one would be forgiven in thinking that Mayfair was an English company. But in fact, Mayfair was based in Chicago, Illinois. And it was the Mayfair edition which I picked up in Games People Play, the board game store in Putnam Square in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the late 1990s. I don't remember much about my early playthroughs of Settlers of Catan. Compared to the war games I'd grown up with, the rules for Settlers were a breeze, even though they were organized into two booklets. A rulebook explaining how the game worked, and a quote, gazetteer, unquote, of terms, which actually included more rules for the game. The hexagonal tiles were colorful with naturalistic depictions of the different terrains. The wooden pieces felt chunky and substantial in a way that the cheap plastic pieces of your typical mainstream American game did not. I do remember thinking, wow, this is a good game. The balance between luck and strategy felt perfect. Every turn when someone rolled the dice, you had to scan the board to see whether your settlements and cities paid off with resources. You had to constantly be angling for advantage in the trading to get the resources you needed as efficiently as possible. Take too long to build, and you'd find someone else had got there before you, blocking you off. You could get to 10 points in many different ways, by building a lot of settlements, or a few cities, or a bunch of ports. Or you could buy development cards to help you achieve the largest army, or the longest road, or build victory point buildings. No one strategy was dominant, and because of the way resources were distributed across the tiles, you couldn't win without trading at least a little, which meant you had to interact with and help other players in order to win. In the months and years to come, I told everyone I knew about Settlers of Catan. When I became a teacher, I used it in my classroom. One year I was teaching at a tiny private school of 44 students, many of whom had learning and social challenges, often resulting in teasing and fights. But standing around a game of Settlers of Catan, they waited their turns patiently and traded politely without any prompting or assistance from me. I watched them and hypothesized that this miracle arose from the structure of the game. The rules gave my students the scaffolding and reassurance they needed to calm their underlying anxiety, and the balance of luck and strategy meant everyone accepted and were able to cope with both good and bad rolls of the dice. Plus, they had to help each other just a little bit. Even with my relentless proselytizing, the settlers of Catan's popularity remained frustratingly stagnant. In 1996, the first year The Settlers of Catan was available in English, Games Magazine's Game of the Year was 25 Words or Less, a party game by the designer of Taboo. Catan did make the magazine's top 100, barely, coming fourth in a new category, Family Strategy Games. The winner of that category was Priceless, a trading and auction game which time has forgotten the short review of Catan noted that copies were still hard to get in North America and ended with a coy bit of praise. It will be fully reviewed in a forthcoming issue. If you're serious about games, just buy it. Trust me. By the beginning of 1999, settlers topped an informal poll conducted by Games Magazine of Desert Island Games, getting two and a half times the number of votes as its nearest rival. Magic the Gathering, by the way, was eighth on that list. Only six years later, on its 10th anniversary, and the first year it could qualify, Catan was admitted to Games Magazine's Hall of Fame, joining Magic the Gathering, which had been admitted two years earlier. Games in Games Magazine's Hall of Fame were considered to be, quote, classics that imitators never seem to equal in quality or staying power, unquote. But, as I said in part one, Catan was just the spearhead of the wave. Other designers had begun to emerge from the same fertile German soil of the period. Perhaps the most prolific and prize-winning of them all is Rainer Knizia. He's published over 700 games in his 30-year career and won 32 major game awards. Like Klaus Teuber and a very few other tabletop designers, he's one of the few who gets their name above the title on the box cover, like Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese get with their movies. Several of his games are considered classics, though which ones in particular depend on who you ask. In my opinion, they would be Raw. Lost Cities, Modern Art, and, more recently, Quest for El Dorado. But Knizia's path to tabletop greatness was very different from Teuber's. For Teuber, games and game design were mainly solitary release from the pressures of his adult life. Knizia, on the other hand, was submerged in tabletop culture from almost the beginning. Reiner Knizia was born in Illertissen, a small town in southern West Germany in 1957. He loved games, especially chess, but the only shop that sold them was the local barber. And Reiner didn't have that much money anyway, so he started designing his own. At the age of 10, he'd created a complicated game about knights, castles, and kingdoms. Players had to roll dice to move their men around the board, across rivers and behind mountains, to occupy the opposing castle. He later said about it, it was an exciting game at the time, and it still plays well, but you had to be willing to make the game work. As a young man, Knizia went on to get a PhD in mathematics from Ulm University, during which time he wrote a computer chess program and discovered speed chess, where players have only seconds to make each move. He found he preferred this mode of play over regular chess because it meant games could be finished much more quickly, instead of sitting around for hours analyzing every move. He also continued his game design hobby. Knizia was amazingly productive. During this period, he wrote for a German game magazine, created and contributed games that were included with each issue, and self-published a play-by-mail magazine which came out every two weeks. In those pre-internet days, that meant mailing out copies to subscribers. Playing games by mail seems ridiculously slow in today's 24-7 real-time world, but in fact, it was a well-established vehicle for play, especially for those whose infirmities kept them indoors and people living in isolated areas. Postal play of chess, and later the classic negotiation game diplomacy, was popular right up until the dawn of the personal computer age. Knizia's Play-by-Mail magazine, post was different in that all the games covered in it were designed by him. It had a business game, an election game, and they could all be played and were played by 50-plus players. To top all this off, Knizia also self-published some physical copies of his own games, 30 or 40 copies at a time, which he called Blue Box Games, after the custom-made boxes he had ordered to put them in. And he did all of this while beginning his career in banking and finance, which ultimately ended up with him as the operations director of a £10 billion UK mortgage company. Although Knitzia had not at that point won the Spiel des Jahres, he'd been nominated four times, and he'd won some lesser but still prestigious prizes such as the Deutsche Spielerpreis in 1993 for his bidding game Modern Art, which remains in print and in demand today. The 1995 Games Magazine article Spielen Sie Deutsch, the one that introduced me to Settlers of Catan, also referred to Knitzia's recent game Auf Heller und Pfennig, I couldn't find a copy of that, unfortunately, but soon after my introduction to Euros, I did buy Lost Cities, which I have played hundreds of times over the years. Knizia's long career reminds me of someone like Bach. Mathematical, ordered, incredibly prolific, endlessly inventive, and, yes, prone to cannibalizing his own work. Knizia designs great family games, as well as brain burners, and just as Bach embraced the innovation of the pianoforte as it began to replace the harpsichord, Knizia has been unafraid to embrace new techniques and technologies as they come along. He was among the first designers to release mobile app versions of his games, as well as designing completely original games that were only available as apps. But even with all his brilliance, nominations, and success, Knizia has yet to create a game that is at the brand recognition of Settlers of Catan. Of course, neither has Klaus Teuber. Settlers' popularity continued to grow slowly but surely in North America, but Mayfair did not have the kind of advertising budget that companies like Hasbro or Parker Brothers had. There were no cheesy television spots on Saturday morning cartoon shows. Instead, Settlers' popularity spread by word of mouth, aided by a new tool. The internet. Fans of the game shared and argued about their favorite strategies, came up with their own maps and scenarios, and shared stories of their epic wins or fails. About ten years after Catan came out, some kind of critical mass seemed to have been reached, and it leapt into pop culture via callouts from celebrities and Silicon Valley magnets. Soon it was being referenced in shows like Parks and Recreation and The Big Bang Theory, Sales then really took off, and people stopped looking at me blankly when I mentioned it as the kind of game I like to play. It has now become the quintessential gateway game, the game that everyone passes through to enter the tabletop hobby. By the beginning of 2015, sales of Catan products topped 22 million copies worldwide. Novels based on the lore of Catan have been published, and a Catan movie first announced in 2015, appears to still be in the works. So if Rainer Knizia is like Bach, then Klaus Teuber would be more like... I'm gonna go with Jimmy Page, the guitarist and brains behind Led Zeppelin. Sure, Page has had some side gigs over the years, scoring the Death Wish soundtracks, the band The Firm, that album with David Coverdale, but aside from that, he has anointed himself the keeper of the zeppelin flame the archivist and remasterer of all those led zep releases and re-releases his legacy is secure and his influence as a guitarist and songwriter is undeniable and he seems content with that and more power to him he's earned it the same goes for toyper although he has designed and released non-Catan games over the last 25 years. Most of his work has been expansions and variations of the Catan template. An extension adding a fifth and sixth player came out in 1996, along with a card-based version. Within the next two years, Toyber designed sequels, introducing new rules for seafaring, knights, cities and a science fiction version, the Starfarers of Catan, with entirely new modules for alien races, came out in 1999. Then there were historical scenarios on pre-printed maps. A Star Trek version, a kids' version, a Game of Thrones version, another kids' version. Teuber kept making them, and people kept buying them. Catan has also made the leap to digital, several times in fact. So, Teuber's legacy, like Jimmy Page's, is secure, especially after he brought his son Guido on board to help run the company that oversees his vast Catanian empire. Today, Catan is probably the most popular German game on the market. But that term, German game, hasn't been used in decades now. With the spread of the hobby, designers from all over the world began to create games like Catan. Games with relatively simple rules and high-quality components that emphasized strategy over luck and indirect over direct conflict. Games like Carcassonne, Seven Wonders, Puerto Rico, and Splendor since many of the immediate successors of that first wave were European, and the themes of their games had a general European slant to them, we now talk about Euro games, or Euros. Even Richard Garfield, the inventor of Magic the Gathering, got into the Euro act with King of Tokyo, a Godzilla themed game where players take the role of mega monsters fighting to be the last monster standing in Tokyo Bay. Each of these games has done well enough to spawn sequels of their own. Catan's success had also created a whole new generation of fans all over the globe. What's more, major publishers and distributors took notice and became receptive to a whole new type of games that they had previously downplayed or ignored or dismissed. Of course, the state of the tabletop art has moved on since Catan was invented. In the early days, games of Catan felt short compared to Risk and Monopoly, but today, both the early and later rounds of Catan feel like they drag on for a little too long, and there are plenty of games which are better paced and pack even more strategy and decision-making into a shorter time. The recent re-release of Starfarers of Catan has tweaked the rules to address just that very issue. The decade from 1995 to 2005 could be considered the first golden age of modern tabletop. In that time, many games, some of which I've already mentioned like Modern Art, and others like El Grande, Tigris and Euphrates, they were released which all broke new ground, introducing or codifying standard mechanics like area control and role selection. I could easily do an entire series about that decade alone. But I have 25 years to cover people, and I had to make choices. Hard choices. So the next game changer is one that came out in 2004 and was the result of 20 years of perseverance and passion by a designer whose simple dream was to make a living designing interesting games of strategy. That was part two of episode three, of the Game Changers. This is David Weiss for the Daily Worker Placement. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And don't flip that table.